0: The following is not legal advice coming from an attorney. Nothing more than a father speaking from his own experience. Should you need actual legal advice, contact an attorney. It's time for another episode of The Father's Truth. The show where real men band together. Stand up for fathers' rights and bring the father's truth out of the darkness, out of the darkness, and in to the light. Giving fathers a voice everywhere. A broadcast brought to you by the Fathers' Lives Matter Network. Here's your host, Alan Donovan. All right. Good evening, guys. It's great to be back. It's great to see all you guys. We are on to Season 3 of The Father's Truth. I know, had to take the summer off. My son is getting older. And, you know, if you have kids, you know how quickly they go. You got to take advantage of that time. So that's what I did. But I'm back here with you guys now. And as I stated earlier, I don't know if you guys saw the reel, but uh, we have a first in Father's Truth history and in Father's Lives Matter. Tonight, instead of interviewing a father or a stepmother that I normally do, I am going to interview a professional. I'm going to interview a father's rights attorney, Taryn Sinatra. She's a Florida board certified marital and family attorney and a Florida Supreme Court certified family mediator. Uh, She is the founder and owner of the law office of Tara G. Sinatra, PA. Founded in 2010, she dedicates her practice to serving the families of South Florida by handling marital and family matters exclusively. All right, guys, so I'm excited about this. This is a first for me, so let's go ahead and get her in here. I hope everybody's having a great night, and I hope everybody had a great summer. Taryn, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm good. Thank you
0: yeah thanks thank for you for coming me. on too
1: yeah thanks for right. having me
0: I appreciate it so like I said in the intro this is a first for me I have never interviewed a lawyer <laughs> so <laughs> so so we're breaking some ground tonight so I want to thank you for accepting the invite
1: yeah thanks for having me this is um a first for me too I've never gone live on IG or any platform and been interviewed so
0: <laughs> well hey I'm this glad to fun. be your first yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe we can make this a regular thing where you pop in every couple of months and and kind of talk to us about uh, family law and father's rights and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm down. So let's get right to it. How did you get into family law and more specifically, how did you get into representing fathers?
1: So I started out as a prosecutor. And I needed to get out of doing government work. I enjoyed it. I loved it, but it was time to move on. And I remember thinking I wanted to maybe try out family law and everybody told me, don't do it. Don't do family law. (laughs) (laughs) All the mentors, all the older attorneys, they said, don't do it. It's miserable. You're going to hate it. Um, And Anyway, so I ended up going into an insurance defense firm. And the reason I'm telling you this is because when I got there, I realized how miserable I was there. And I really missed working with people
0: yeah. um,
1: and having that like personal connection to people and something that they were going through. It was really different in the insurance world. It wasn't for me. So I finally took the plunge. I got into family. I was working with a solo practitioner at the time in Boca Raton and i realized that i really loved it i had a i had it i had a niche for it i think it, my personality worked for it um and i just connected to the people and i decided to just go out on my own at the time in 2000 i think it was 9 or 10 i decided to open up my own my own practice so i just kind of went for it and um yeah it has its its days where <laughs> <laughs> it's tough and maybe yep. I hate it some days, but then there's days when it's really rewarding and, and I love it. Um, the father's side of things. So when I got into it, I don't think any family law attorney goes into it thinking I'm going to represent just moms or just dads, or I don't think um, there are a couple that I know of that do just a certain demographic. And I, I don't, I represent moms, dads, men, women. Um, but As I've been practicing more, because I've been doing it for now 17 years, you see, you get different stories and different people that come through. And I've, I don't know, I have like a soft spot in my heart, I think, for dads, um, because there are plenty of dads that are deadbeat dads, right? The ones that really don't do the job or they don't get it. But then there's those dads that they really just want to be a good dad and they, there's still some injustices, right? With giving dads their their fair shot or, um, and the moms that maybe have a hard time like letting go um, or doing worse than even that, so.
0: Yeah. Well, and and that leads me up to my first question. (laughs) So as, you know, as I kind of talked to you a little bit about before we went on air, you know, I had my first experience in family court and those of you that follow me, you know this story. You know, I I spent thousands of dollars on an attorney and you know, she she told me all this stuff about how she was gonna do all this stuff and rah, 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 sis boom bop, she was gonna get it. Got to family court, she said five fucking words. And I walked out of that having my ass kicked. And I pulled her aside and I said, What the fuck was that? You didn't do a single thing that you said you were gonna do. She looked at me and she said, Well, you got to spend extra time with your son, right? I said, well, yeah, well, it is what it is. And she turned around, walked off. That was my introduction to family court. That was my introduction to attorneys. And that kind of set the tone in my own personal opinion going forward. And I've been doing this for almost a decade now. And in the course of that time, I have interviewed thousands of fathers, not just here in the United States, but around the world. And the overwhelming thing that comes back is family law attorneys, fucking suck why is that is there something is there something that is within this system that makes it so that when it comes to working with fathers that these attorneys are just like "Nah, i'm just gonna get the money and i'm gonna call it in and i'm not gonna do anything because that seems to be the story that i hear more often than not is these attorneys give this great song and dance and then they don't ever follow up on it
1: um Wow. Oof. So you're not the first um that I've heard that has this kind of sentiment about the family court system and family <laughs> attorneys. Um, or even maybe just attorneys in general. A lot of times I'm like I'm meeting someone new and I tell them what I do and they're like, Ooh, I think <laughs> like, we well, yeah. think a lot. <laughs> um so I think that lawyers just like anything else, like cops, right? There's there's good mm-hmm. ones and there's bad ones. Um, I think that lawyers do get a bad rap and I can see why they would in terms of just milking the file. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and knowing that someone has a really desperate situation or they have money, whatever the case may be, there are those lawyers that look, we bill by the hour. And so it's easy for them to just kind of turn the file, um, and, and make the money and, and walk away. The, but this is when vetting the attorney comes into play, getting yes. a referral. How do you find a lawyer? Um, someone just asked me on my TikTok, you know, how do I find the right divorce attorney for me? I still have to answer that question, but it's a great question. Um, I think that's the first big step is just finding the right person. And you want to have like a, a connection with the attorney, it's a very intimate kind of relationship,
0: It's a very um, personal thing. It's you're a very personal
1: working. thing. It's very personal. Um, I would also look at, you know, like reviews, um, obviously talking to someone that maybe has used that lawyer, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's easy for, for lawyers to just kind of like do the job and like, you're just, you're another, you're another file number, you're another case,
0: yeah. right? Well, and you. and, you know, and not to say every lawyer is like that because, you know, I have talked to. People who are lawyers who are good, genuine lawyers who actually care, but they're overshadowed by what seems to be the majority of these lawyers that just get into it just purely for the money. They don't get into the humanitarian side of it. They don't look at it like, oh, you're fighting for your kid. Well, you know, I'm going to do what I can for you. I'm going to treat it like it was my kid. You don't see that very often. You see such an impersonal touch to it that Um, it's just, it's sad.
1: It's truly sad. sad. It it is sad, and you would think that, so, like, my practice is small. I'm a boutique-style firm. It's just myself. I have an associate attorney and two staff members. Um, So I like to think, you know, that we give that personal touch to every case. It's not like you're working with a firm of, you know, hundreds of attorneys. Um, So I I don't know how some of these attorneys can can go to sleep at night and and feel okay about it if that's really what they're – what they're doing it's it's just to collect the money or their their pay and and not really have that humanitarian side to things um Mm -hmm. there are certain cases that as an attorney i won't take if i see certain red flags um i don't want to necessarily be on the wrong side of the case if i see the parent is doing the wrong thing or or not you know and doesn't have a child's best interest at heart i don't want to be on that team um So there's enough cases to go around. So I think the good ones, the good lawyers, we're also, you know, the client, the potential client is interviewing us, but we're Mm -hmm. also interviewing or should be interviewing the potential client because we don't, we don't take every case. And I I don't want to take every case. I don't want to be on the wrong side of it. Um, So I do try to look for those red flags and, um, and try to be on the right side of things.
0: No, and that's good. And that's one of the things, you know, when I'm talking to a father, you know, they always inevitably ask, well, how do I find a good attorney? Well, you know, that's the million dollar question right there. You know, I've, I've, I pondered that myself. How do I find a good attorney? Well, you know, obviously you go through and you do the vetting, you know, you try and meet with the attorneys, you look at reviews and everything. What else would you suggest? Because obviously, you know, that always isn't, you know, sometimes that's not quite enough to be yeah. perfectly
1: yeah. I think that's the way to start, right? Just getting um, referrals if you can, looking at reviews, um, and doing the interview process, interviewing a, a handful of attorneys. And um, I think, too, there are a lot of attorneys that dabble in different areas of law. I don't know about your prior attorney and your past experience. but She did everything. Are-
0: she was that's like a jack of all trade and obviously problem. a master of none.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the first problem. So I definitely think that there is something to that. When you have an attorney that does, that dabbles in a lot of different areas, that's a red flag. I don't think that that's. Someone that really has a strong understanding and is very um, sophisticated, or not to say that they can't do it, but they're 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 doing the the half-assed job usually in those situations. And maybe I'll get some like you know shit about saying this, but it, it there is something to that. I've had a lot of clients that come to me that say they're switching attorneys or they're looking to switch attorneys because they spent twenty five thousand dollars with one and they feel like they got nowhere. Um, and a lot of times it's, maybe it's someone that did just practice family law, but I always try to steer people clear of using someone that dabbles in different areas. Like you said, um, Jack of all trades, master of none. You really, well, if, if this is. That, it like
0: get, yeah, it seems like when you get into that, it's a, an attention to detail kind of thing where, you know, like you said earlier, you know, you're just a number on a form somewhere. You know, and if you've got it, if you got an attorney that does family law, that also does civil law and criminal yeah. law, you know, you're going to get lost in the shuffle somewhere yeah. along the line.
1: Yeah. And they, you know, I feel like the attorneys that try to dabble, I, I don't dabble in criminal. I used to be a criminal attorney when I was a prosecutor. Um, I don't do that anymore. I don't touch anything else ever. I don't do dependency work. I refer it out. I don't do anything civil litigation. I refer it out. So I just stick to what I know, and I think when you, especially with family, every state is different, right? But there's a very specific set of family law rules in place, the statutes, the family law rules of procedure, and there's just a lot of different strategies to be used and tools to be used in family court. So if you've got an attorney that's just dabbling, they may not know all of those tools and the resources and the strategies to really use. There's also a lot of emotionality that comes into play in these types of cases. Um, And there's an emotional strategy that comes into play too. So some of these lawyers that don't focus just on this, they may not be real um, sophisticated in that. So Yeah.
0: And, (laughs) you know, I, and I I learned that, you know, that the whole talking up the game and then not carrying through Mm -hmm. that, that kind of seems to be something that, kind of goes across the entire industry from talking to other fathers and talking Mm -hmm. to their attorneys and hearing, you know, their game plan and then not doing anything. So that brings me to my next question. Okay. Why do you think family court is so inevitably fucked up like it is? Why is that?
1: Well, um, It's definitely um, a little bit of a, it's not a perfect system. Um, I obviously only practice in Florida, so I don't know what goes on in other states, but I feel like, especially when it comes to dads, whenever I talk to them, um, the majority of them is like, oh, dads always get fucked, dads always get fucked. I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. And being in it, I can tell them from experience that it's, it's really not always true. Um, mm-hmm. I have many, many cases where the dads didn't get fucked. They they got what they um, what they wanted, what they deserved. They, whether it was fifty fifty or even um, sole custody or um, timeshare, um, whatever the case may be, it's not always that dads are getting fucked. But obviously, there's something broken if mm-hmm. in this if this day and age dads are still, you know, feeling that way. Um, yeah. So I don't I don't know that I have an answer for that I don't know why I think that <laughs> um, that it, sometimes you have practitioners that don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. you have judges that maybe are new on the bench that are just learning family law as well and I mean look they're human they I think too what the issue is is in family court there's just this wide range of discretion that mm-hmm. judges yeah. that's that legal standard right and when you're trying to like maybe take a case up on appeal to the higher court to the appellate court most times at least in florida a lot of the legal issues that come up it's was there an abuse of discretion by that lower court by the trial judge so it's just so discretionary um and you can maybe I tell my clients this too. Like you can ask five different judges what something should be on this particular issue, and you may very well get five different answers because it's that discretionary. Yep. So you may have a judge that is new on the bench, you may have a judge that did a different area of law for years and is now just coming into family. You may have um, you may have a judge that just woke up on the wrong side of the fucking bed. <laughs> that happens.
0: Personality, personality yeah, plays personality.
1: a huge role. Yeah. Um, and I think too, like, so I am, I get really frustrated about the way that um, fathers are dealt with in Florida that were not married and had a baby with somebody that's paternity, right? Paternity, yeah. right. And the statute is still not written the right way. And I know that within the family law section in Florida, they're trying to get that kind of revamped so that it can work a little bit differently. But there's still this, um, it's, it's not fair. It's one of the examples that come up is like, I had this 22 or 23 year old kid that came to me for a paternity case. He's a first time dad, obviously he's a child himself, he's a kid, 22, 23. And his girlfriend got pregnant, and for whatever reason, she decides she doesn't want to be with him anymore. And while she's pregnant, she just up and leaves the state of Florida, goes to a different state across the country, and he doesn't have any right to now force her back to Florida or force the baby once the baby's born to come back to Florida. So now he's stuck dealing with a parenting plan across the states. And it's just, um, I, so, so my point is, I think it's just a combination of things. It's maybe the lawyers, maybe the judges, maybe it's the way the statutes are written. Still, um, there are certainly some States that probably still have that like old school way of looking where like, you know, your mom, so mom should yeah. get more rights or moms get all the rights.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, maybe in the Midwest, maybe, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't know, but, there probably is some of that that still exists, that there's just this um, antiquated way of looking at things.
0: And I can can tell you straight away in my home state, you know, Montana, where I first went to court, it is very much a mother state. Mm -hmm. When you walk through those courtroom doors, if you are a mother, you are assumed to be the best and most fit choice for the child. Now, if you're a father, you walk through those court doors, you have an innumerable number of hoops you have to jump through to prove your worth. And, you know, it, it kind of blew me away because when I first went to family court, my my thought process was, Okay, we're going to court, you know, justice is blind. I'm gonna be able to present my facts and show that, you know, I'm a good dad.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I'm working for UPS, I'm a manager at UPS, I'm stable. You know, mm-hmm. I have a house. I have a job. I make decent money. I got into court and found out that, sorry, bud, that shit don't matter. You know, she's got more rights than you do just because she is the mother. And I was just blown away by that. My judge looked at me and said, you know what? You don't have the right to have your son. I said, excuse me? Yeah, you don't have the right to have your son. I'm going to go ahead and order you to return your son to his mom. And I said, "What? wait a minute, what's going on here? Because so in the process of this whole thing, my son's mom, at one point in time when I had my son had texted me and asked me if I would pee in a bottle to give to her boyfriend so he could pass a, a UI test. And I presented that to the judge, you know, because that from everything that I could find at the time, that's a fucking felony. Right there. Yeah. That is felony. And I brought it to the judge's attention. And uh, I was told, Yeah, no, doesn't matter. I was like, wow. And it got to the point where she ordered me to return my son. And she goes, You're gonna make me order you, aren't you? I said, You're damn fucking right I am. I'm gonna make it you order me because judge. this is bullshit.
1: It was a female judge,
0: it was a female judge.
1: I wonder, do you think that if you had a male judge, would it have been any different?
0: So I had a male judge my second and third time around. And uh, my second and third time around, I was representing myself. I was going pro se. I had uh, spent I had spent the six months teaching myself family law in, you know, two different states. And at the end of the first, at the end of the court, the second time down in Kentucky, he looked at me and he said, you know what, Mr. Donovan, I've been doing this for, I It's like 20 years he goes you are the most prepared father i have ever seen walk into this courtroom he goes do you know anybody here outside of your son his mom and her parents i said no he goes have you ever been here before i said nope he goes so you traveled all this way by yourself to represent yourself in my courtroom and i said yeah and he goes i gotta tell you, you are the most prepared father i've ever seen because I rolled into court with 13 binders yeah. of evidence that I compiled over the course of time. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "I'll tell you what." He goes, "I'm going to go ahead and grant your 50/50 custody today because that's what I was asking for." Mm-hmm. And he goes, "You're planning on moving down here, right?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "So when you move down here, come and see me and I'll give you I'll give you a primary custody." Which I was like, "Holy shit." You know, I was blown away. And so a year goes by and I'm back in family court again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he remembered me. He greeted me by, by name, remembered me from last time I was here, spent 20 minutes in court, represented myself again and walked out with full custody of my son. So the way he looked at things, the way he approached things was a 180 degree difference versus that female judge.
1: I mean, I, it just it sometimes it just depends on the judge it depends on their mood it depends on what they bring to the table from their own experiences um you know this is obviously not going into any of the facts of your case but Mm -hmm. you know the the facts obviously play a role i know some people watching are gonna you know disagree with that and they feel like you know like like the way you felt like you just walk in and before anyone even knows anything they're Mm -hmm. looking at your dad so you're less than and mom has has more than or should have more than florida's definitely more of a progressive state um we're not yet a quote 50-50 state but we're leaning more towards that so what i mean by that is you know the judges they're they're leaning more towards 50-50 and um right now we're still under this um standard of the statute is written still as whatever's in the child's best interest so there's all the factors and the court has to look at all the facts and all the factors to determine what's in the child's best interest that could mean maybe dad should have the majority of the timeshare maybe it should be 50 50 um and i have a case where um i've dad mom lost all of i mean it wasn't a termination of parental rights because that's a different type of court that's dependency Mm -hmm different but she was um basically prohibited there was a restraining order so she couldn't contact the father or the child indefinitely because she basically tried to kill them is what happened um and so dad ended up with 100 percent rights basically and then even when mom came in for a modification later and they granted her supervised visitation she you know she really didn't even um, take the opportunity that she was given. So to this day, years later, dad is still the the, the only parent that that child knows. So the facts really do play a major part. Um, I always kind of cringe when someone says that they're representing themselves. I self- saw that. I saw that.
0: I, I saw you cringe. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. No, the mom doesn't have to be a killer to lose custody. I'm not saying that I couldn't help it. I saw the comment um, no that's that's obviously not the standard, but the point is is it depends on the facts um, and there are there are times you know I've dealt with moms that have an alcohol problem, a drug problem, um, and they have to go through the hoops where Dad is the more stable parent so there's just the facts play a role there's a lot of different resources and tools you know um. I don't know, like in your case, if there was a guardian ad litem, or if there was a social investigation, or things that were done. It really depends on the facts too, if that's even necessary. But yeah, I kind of cringe when when someone represents themselves in family court because it's not that you can't educate yourself and figure out how to do it, and you may do a fuck of a better job than any lawyer will ever do for you. But um, you know, if especially if the other parent has a lawyer it feels like, a, like like an automatic disadvantage because the court's going to treat you
0: She did have an attorney. And, uh, you know, because I walked in there and he was like, Mr. Donovan, where's your um, attorney? I said, I don't have one. And he goes, oh. And, you know, he kind of leaned back and, you know, kind of looked me up and down there for, you know, a hot minute. And he said, so you understand that if we do this and you lose, you cannot then claim a mistrial. I said, yeah, I am perfectly aware of that. Yeah, like
1: not having a lawyer is not a defense. You can't go up on appeal because you didn't have a lawyer, right?
0: Yep. And he goes, okay, so I just want to make that crystal clear, you know, that you understand. I'm going to go ahead and enter in the records. You understand, you know, the gravity of the situation by you representing yourself. And I said, yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And he goes, okay, well, are you ready to do this? And I said, yes, I am. And we went through and did it. And. You know, the funniest part of the whole process was afterwards when, you know, he had made his decision and everything and her attorney, you know, had to write up the order and everything. Mm -hmm. And so I'm waiting out in the waiting room for her attorney and her attorney comes out and and hands me the order. And, and, you know, I shook her hand and I said, you know what? This was a lot of fun. We should really do this again. (laughs) And, you know, I probably shouldn't have done that. It's kind of a dick thing to do but you know i had just been through so much crap you know at one point they were trying to tell me to sign away my rights and then they were trying to only give me like one week out of a year and i'm 2000 miles away and there was just so much that i just had i just had to get that little dig in. i just yeah. had to get and i tell you taryn to look on her face if looks could kill i would have been <laughs> fucking dead right there but there's i couldn't
1: there's so much good drama that goes on in the in the courtroom like the hallways of the courthouse there's always something
0: yeah, and it it was just it was mind numbing and you know, going back to my first time in, in in court, and after the fact I did some background investigating on that judge and her history of mm-hmm. how she's you know what kind of decisions she's made across the board um, she's very pro mom she's very very feminist and not to say feminism is a bad thing or anything mm-hmm. like that. Cause I don't want to go down that rabbit hole.
1: I mean, it's every, every judge comes with their own bag of shit that yep. may that playing a part in. What mm-hmm.
0: She movie. had her own little proclivities and, you know, talking to other fathers in my area, you know, because I went that far that, you know, I, I reached, started reaching out to other fathers that I know through social media asking, Hey, So did you have so-and-so judge for your, for your family court? If you Mm -hmm. did, let me know how it went. And it was overwhelmingly negative for fathers. I mean, we're talking situations where, you know, the mother was cracked out kind of thing and she still denied the fathers and went ahead and gave custody to the mom. I'm just like, Uh, how the fuck does that work? That's absurd. That's absurd. Yeah, Yeah. I
1: don't understand that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've definitely seen some judges that are, you know, pro, pro mom. Um, I, I've actually had a recent experience where it was a female judge, uh, and she was really very nasty to my client who was the mom. And before my client even got a chance to testify, right the judge kind of like prejudged the case and found that mom was alienating the children. She didn't make a formal ruling of like a finding, but she said something like, you know, well, it's parental alienation. And so that's a big no, no. As a judge, you cannot and should not be prejudging the case until you've heard everything. Even if internally, maybe you're feeling a certain type of way, you definitely need to be careful what you're saying as a judge. But, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know why I I think it maybe is just the state from state to state. There's just some states that are still very, um, antiquated in how they're looking at things. Um, and there are for sure moms. I have a few of them currently that they really need to be talked through the process because they have a hard time letting go. They have a hard time. Like maybe dad isn't, um, a monster. Maybe dad, there's no history of violence, there's no history of drug use or alcoholism or mental health problems. There's no indicators that would say he's going to be a danger or a detriment to the child. So why why would there be any less rights to dad? Um, moms sometimes have a really hard time kind of like letting go and thinking that dad can do the same kind of job that she can do as a mom. And what I always tell clients, and this hap- this comes up in mediation. Um, two is there's a reason why you're not with that other parent. Yep. There's a reason you don't see eye to eye on certain things and maybe parenting is one of them and you're, you're going to discipline differently. Maybe one parent might be the disciplinarian and the other isn't. So you're not going to always parent the same way. It doesn't necessarily make one parent better than the other. And, um, I had that conversation a lot,
0: I feel like. <laughs> why, why, do you think, why do you think that happens? Because that, that's something that I see a lot too, you know, when I'm talking to these dads and everything. You know, when, when they were together, you know, they were amazing. They, they right. were the greatest father in the world, you know. Exactly. You know, better than sliced bread. But as yeah. soon as that relationship comes to an end, they become a monster mm-hmm. and they can't do a fucking thing right. Why I is that a societal thing?
1: the case right now that I had, I represented the husband, they were going through a divorce and, you know, during the marriage there was no, I mean, he was a great guy. He, he provided for the family. There was no domestic violence. They had no issues. And, um, for whatever reason they're getting divorced and all of a sudden now he's, he's a piece of shit. He, he shouldn't have the kids. And I think what it is, is, um, A lot of times, it's just the control, you know, Mm -hmm. that that one parent wants to feel like they have the control, and like I said, like, they can't let go. It's – maybe they do feel like there's this fear of, oh, my God, like, my kid's going to go to another house and and sleep over, and I'm not going to be with them for for two nights in a row, and it's like, they will – they will return them in one piece. You know, I mean, again, you're looking for indicators of like, why would this not be in a child's best interest Mm -hmm. to be with both parents? You have to have something. You can't just all of a sudden be getting divorced and now it's all right. Well, he's dad and he can't do the same kind of job that I can.
0: So yeah, that part of it never made sense to me. I mean, you obviously love this man enough to lay down with him Mm -hmm. and conceive a child. And you guys were together for, you know, who knows, let's say five years or whatever. And everything was great. But as soon as it ended, man, it really ended. You know, I just, I can't, I can't visualize the mental gymnastics that get you from point A to fuck all to point B. It just blows me.
1: A lot of it has to do with the fear. Um, A lot of it has to do with control and, you know... I have also a few cases. I have one now. I'm thinking again of another case. I have um, the father, they were never married and they had a relationship and he ended the relationship again. She came to Florida while pregnant, right? They, they were together in New York. He never filed anything. And then she moved to Florida and now he's stuck having to deal with, he lives in New York and now he's got a baby in Florida that he wants to see. And there's really no good reason why he shouldn't have time with the child, but it's so obvious that mom is like bitter and scorned. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a real thing, too. She's just pissed off at him.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll have no fury. Like a woman in um, the <laughs>
1: That's, yeah, I guess it's true. And But th- these are sad situations when like the child is used as the weapon yeah. and that exists. So, um, but that's when you need to, you know, again, like I cringe, someone going pro se or representing themselves, like there's just so much that can go into this, you know, in terms of gathering the evidence or trying to disprove something. And I think one, one of the things that I love to do in a case like that is I love taking the mom's deposition right off the rip because I want to know, can she actually articulate the reasons that dad shouldn't have? timeshare or equal timeshare. You know, like if it's OK for him to have every other weekend, why is it not OK for him to have two days during the week and every other weekend, which would make it 50-50, yeah. right? Um, and a lot of times these moms, I feel like I'm getting like, I'm picking on moms, but it was some <laughs> <laughs> whether it's a mom or a dad, you're taking the deposition sometimes when you have someone that's like throwing out these allegations or they just have these, you know, They can't, they don't even have allegations. They're just saying, oh, mom should be the sole decision maker. Or mom should have, you know, 100% timeshare or a majority timeshare. And I love taking that position so that they can't look at their attorney and ask them, how do I answer this? Or can you help me? They
0: have to actually do it.
1: They just have to give me the answers. And I like to know going into the case early on, depending, right, on every situation is different, but can they articulate for me? give me a specific day that this happened, or that dad did this, or, you know, um, and sometimes they can't, and that's when I know they don't have shit, and if they don't have shit, then I know that this is just uh, an emotional battle that I'm dealing with, and someone who can't let go of the the control, and they feel like, you know, dad can't do do it the same way that I can, but um, the court shouldn't be looking at it like that, right, I mean... This is your child together. I I don't, I feel very strongly about that. And maybe it's because like, I have such a great dad. I have like the best dad in the world. My kid's dad is the best dad in the world for them. We have a great co-parenting relationship. So when I try, when I see a dad trying to step up to the plate and be a good dad, and there's like this, these these barriers, these roadblocks for them. It um, doesn't sit well with me because I don't I don't get it, and I don't get I don't get why women would would not embrace that for their children.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you would think common sense would tell me that. Okay, he's got a father, he or she has a father. They have me, the mom. You know, they should have both of them equally in their lives. And, yeah. and you know, the big thing that I come back to is you know, our children didn't get to decide who their parents were. They were stuck with whoever they got. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they have no say in it. I've seen it so many times where, you know, they end up being in the middle of this brutal tug of war and it destroys them. And it seems like 99.9% of the time, you know, the mother doesn't see that, doesn't see that they're destroying their child. And it, yes. it's just mind blowing to me how yeah. we get to
1: It's true. And I see that's that's what I see in my cases. Um, whether it's mom's doing or dad's doing, and sometimes it's both parents. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are so pissed off at each other so much so that they can't get out of their own way to see that yeah. they're only hurting the kids. Like, shut the fuck up. Shut up. Yeah. That's what yeah. I want to say to the I want to shake them both and say, just shut up. Look what you're doing. Um mm-hmm. When I got divorced, or when I was getting divorced, um, you know, because every in all divorces, like it's never it's never easy, right? There's always a little bit of heartache or whatever whatever happens. But I told him, I told my ex, I said, "We're gonna do whatever it takes to be friends," because I see what happens in these cases where you know it's easy to get pissed off at each other or start disagreeing on things, and we're gonna do whatever it. Takes. He will literally just. He has the code to my garage. (laughs) He'll come in, (laughs) you know, um, he'll go upstairs and play PlayStation with the kids before they like, we do the exchange. Like it's just very friendly. Well, Um, that's,
0: that's how it should be in a perfect world. That's how it should be. I mean, this ownership, this presumed ownership of the kids, that shit's mm got to stop, man. Because those kids are going to grow up and they're going to do that same shit over to their kids and it's just a nasty fucking circle
1: well they they, they start to feel the the tension the kids are yeah. very um they're very intuitive they, oh they're they, very
0: empathic to this yeah. kind of stuff. it and, sticks out um, to them like a sore thumb
1: they can feel the tension and so i mean forget about when you have a situation where like the parents are just talking negatively about each other in front of the kids or to the kids, or you know, saying stupid shit like you know, oh, your your dad doesn't give me enough child support, or um, you know, whatever. Just there's so many things that go on that I, I my heart bleeds for kids that have to deal with that because that's got to screw them up in some way. Um, so a big part of my practice, um, especially in these um, in these cases that are high conflict and there's children involved it's um looking for resources for therapy and parenting coordinators and because and i saw someone commented on in the chat that the, this shouldn't be resolved in court and i really agree with that there are some things that shouldn't be even addressed in court it really is more like the parents have to have an, a third party intermediary it's not a judge to sit down and help them kind of like work through it and figure out a way to co-parent so that they can um, communicate better and make decisions better. Um, it, it's just sad that some of these parents. I just they run to the lawyers. They start filing shit in the court system, and then the next thing you know, you've got pages and pages and pages of docket entries, and it's 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 a legal battle when really it needs to be more of a therapeutic thing. In my opinion,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that's a huge thing that has become so easy to do in this. I mean, the society that we live in today is. I want it now and I don't want to hear anything yeah. else. You know, that's, mm-hmm. it's me, me, me now, now, now kind yeah. of society. And, and the I think that has transcended into family
1: court. They don't want to put the work in. They don't yeah. want to take the time away from their schedule to have to go through a, a co-parent, a 10 week co-parenting course or, you know, family therapy or see a, co- a parenting coordinator or whatever it is. They don't want to, they don't want to spend the money. They don't want to put the time in the work in, but then they want to spend money on lawyers and, just and just fight and i always tell my clients you know i'm not afraid to go to court i'll you know i love going to court it's part of being a lawyer right but i don't want to gamble because that's really what it is i don't want to gamble with someone else's children or money right but especially the children's issues so if you don't have a lawyer that's really trying to promote a settlement or facilitate a settlement um that's That's a red flag. That's scary. Um, You don't, who wants to go in front of a judge who's got thousands and thousands of cases. They're cranky. They're impatient.
0: (laughs) Overworked. (laughs) They are. It's (laughs) true.
1: I've seen some judges that have been so pleasant when they first take the bench, at least family bench, and you keep them on that bench long enough. They don't have the patience for shit
0: in family court. They don't want to hear it. Yeah. I mean, they hear it all every single day. You know, who knows how many cases they're going through. And if there's somebody that is like up in my area, a rural area, you know, mm-hmm. they're getting every single case. It's not like there's six or seven other family, you know, judges there. It's just them. And yeah, yeah I mean, family court it's is a flooded. meat grinder.
1: It, it's flooded. They're overworked. Yeah. Um, you know, they're government employees. So it they're not making, you know, um, 500 grand a year. Um, sitting on that bench. So they get they get kind of cranky. They get kind of impatient. But my point is, is I always try to promote some kind of um, settlement or negotiations and, you know, trying to see eye to eye before you have to just take it to the court because you're literally leaving it up to a stranger to make a decision about your family and your kids. And they don't know. They, They don't. They're just hearing, Okay, let me hear from this side. Let me hear from this side. And let me make a decision. That's scary. Oh, that's, um,
0: that's very, very fucking scary.
1: So, and look, sometimes you can't, you can't help it. You just, you, you have to, you have to fight the battle in court. Sometimes you just, you got someone really unreasonable on the other side, and you have no choice. And sometimes people just want to have their day in court. They'd rather let me, let me have the judge tell me how it's going to be before I agree to this crap that you know the other side's you know offering because you've got some unreasonable people and unfortunately then you've, you're left with that. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a scary system. I would never want to be in the system personally.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Cause uh, it is questionary.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a, it's a fucking meat grinder. It will spit you up and chew you out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I wanted to touch on, we, and we've kind of talked around it a little bit, but the red flags for a father that's dealing with, with an attorney in your professional opinion what are some of the biggest red flags to look out for when working with
1: a family law attorney yes so um i think that okay all right let me think this through for a second i think if you have an attorney that dabbles and we talked about this before that is a huge one i do not for anybody ever recommend going to an attorney that dabbles in different areas of the law. You want someone that um, focuses primarily or exclusively in family law. Um, If they're board certified, even better, because then they're literally considered an expert or a specialist in that area of the law. Um, That's one. Two would be if they are not responsive if they're not getting back to you timely if they're passing the buck to like their receptionist or the paralegal and you can't get Facetime with them
0: so what in your estimation as an attorney what what do you define as timely
1: um well like you said i mean we're in a kind of day and age where everybody wants everything like yesterday right (laughs) um and you know i would say if you're not hearing from somebody within 24 hours and i mean like so so for example in my office the girls know that if someone's calling for me and i'm not available which a lot of times i'm not available right then and there i'm i'm on another call i'm in the middle of something i'm in court i'm wherever they know they make an appointment with them and it's on my calendar so they know that they have a scheduled day and time to either zoom with me or come into the office with me or have a phone call with me um that should be the way that it is that you know that you're getting on the schedule if it's an email or something you know i think that email is probably like a 24-hour thing um i'm flooded with emails between the court system lawyers other clients So I feel like 24 hours is fair. The other red flag is, is if you're not, if you're like scratching your head constantly, like what's happening with my case, right? Not just, I'm not hearing back from the lawyer, but like, you're not getting an explanation about where you're at in the process or what are some options that we can, that we can, um, consider for how we're going to strategize this. Like I'm maybe over thorough with my clients, Um, in terms of, I want them to really know what the hell is happening with their case. I want them to know what is the purpose of the guardian ad litem? What's the mediator's job? How is this process going to go? There's a lot that lawyers don't necessarily talk to their clients about. Like some of that minutia, we just kind of like we're just doing it just to keep the Mm -hmm. case going. But there's a lot in family court that I feel like should be a conversation with, with the clients. So that's a red flag. If you're like scratching your head, like I don't even know what's happening right now. That's a problem.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Those are all good things. Um, yeah. Um, and with that, we <laughs> oh, are I coming up it. to the end. We'll see
1: the next one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. No, it, it went quick. It went quick. Um, so Taryn, if you can, if you have just one single piece of advice for the dads out there, because I see we got a lot of them. I've been kind of half eyeing the the stuff that's been popping up. If you had one piece of advice for these guys, what would it be?
1: Um my piece of advice would be even though you're discouraged, because I know that there's a lot of discouraged dads out there, to not give up the fight. To not give up the fight because I've seen, I've seen a lot of success stories Hmm. um, and there might be some hurdles and it might be unfair, but don't give up the fight even when you're discouraged and just keep, keep pushing through.
0: Yep. Spot on. There's light at the end of that tunnel. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time to get to the end of the tunnel. Yeah. So where can they find you if they are in Florida? How do they reach out to you?
1: So um, you can reach me on um, my website is Sinatra legal.com. I also have another subsidiary firm called divorce on a dime.com. That's my other website. You can find me there. And then if you want to email me directly, it's um, Taryn T A R Y N at Sinatra legal.com. And I'll try to get back to everybody within 24 hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. And one last question. Are you related to Frank Sinatra?
1: He is my great, great uncle.
0: So you are real? Okay.
1: Just kidding. But it works every time. No, I... I...
0: (laughs) Because I was like Sinatra. I wonder if she's actually related. If I was
1: related to Frank Sinatra, um, I'd like to think I'd be collecting some royalties and maybe I could (laughs) be... Something? something. I don't know. I don't think I'm related. um,
0: But It's a great conversation starter, though.
1: And I don't sing.
0: <laughs> oh, you don't sing? Not at all, huh? <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Taryn, I'll- it I'll- has...
1: Yeah, I can also give recommendations to lawyers in different states. Um, I have a lot of resources, so... And you're if- only
0: licensed in Florida, correct? I'm
1: only licensed in Florida, but I um, I do get a lot of questions about referrals from different in different states, so I can help with that, too.
0: Awesome. Well, Taryn, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. I hope... You didn't feel like I was attacking you with any of the questions or anything. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So like I said, I'd love to have you on again, maybe kind of make this a regular thing where we, you know, you jump on and we talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the world of family law, because I know it's always changing and there's different things coming and going. Um, So yeah, I'd love to have you on again here in another month or so and kind of go from there.
1: All right, let's do it. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun.
0: Absolutely. All right, Taryn, have a great night. Okay. All right, thanks. I'm going to get my Thank kids to bed. All right, guys. That was Taryn Sinatra. Great conversation with her. Um, like I said at the start of the show, she is the first family law attorney that I've entered, ever interviewed here on The Father's Truth. So, yeah, um, we, if you noticed, I had a lot of guys asking questions. We kind of tried to stay away from that because you get into a uh, legal gray area. In trying to give advice, you know, if you're not a client of hers. So maybe next time we will do something where we do more of a Q and a kind of thing. So, but that's going to wrap up the show for tonight. Um, The father's truth is back. For season three so if you are interested in coming on the show you can go to the link in my bio click on that and you're going to see where you can click on the link for signing up for the father's truth become a guest and uh, have your voice be heard all right guys i want to thank everybody again i am alan donovan and you have been listening to the father's truth have a great night Thank you for joining us and listening to The Father's Truth. If you would like to be a guest or know someone with a story that needs to be heard, email Alan Donovan now at The Father's Truth at Sohomail.com.